Well, next Sunday, Lord willing, we will finish our sermon series through Genesis, looking at the life of Abraham. And today we are in chapter 24, which continues this kind of epilogue portion of Abraham's story, wrapping up some loose ends in chapters 23, 24, and 25. And today's chapter deals with the loose end of making sure Abraham's son Isaac has a wife. See, when we met Abraham in Genesis 11, he was already married to Sarah. But Isaac, at this point in the story, is still unmarried. So in order for Abraham's offspring to grow into multitudes, Isaac will need to find a wife and continue the family line. Now, I will warn you, as we come to the sermon text this morning, this is a pretty long chapter. It is 67 verses. We are going to be reading all of it. But don't worry, it is going to keep you enthralled because this is the classic love story. The classic love story where a father sends his elderly servant on a long journey to choose a wife for his only son so that those first cousins once removed can then be married having never met each other before. It's a lovely, classic romantic story. And so let us turn and open the Word of God to Genesis 24 today. Genesis 24, we will begin in verse 1. Let us hear the word of God. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughter of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who shall say drink and I will water your camels. 
Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also, until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please, tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He that is Laban said, Speak on. So he, the servant, said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and golds, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper you. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. 
I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink, and I will draw from your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder. And she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank. And she gave the camel's drink also. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then... If you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her. And go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, O our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negeb. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw. And behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah his mother and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her.
So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Let us pray. Lord, we give thanks for Your Word. We thank You, God, that in many ways the world of the Bible is very much the same as our world. Human nature has not changed. And yet that world is foreign to us in many ways. And so, Lord, give us insight and understanding that we might understand Your Word and what You are speaking to us through Your Word. God, I pray that You would use me in spite of my own sins and weakness to faithfully proclaim Your Word and that You would go forth in the power of Your Spirit with Your Word and so work in all of us, opening our hearts and minds to gladly and joyfully receive Your Word and so believe it and live by it for Your glory. Amen. Romance. That's it right there. That's good stuff. It's good stuff. And we could spend today essentially extracting a whole bunch of principles for courtship. We could do that. But I feel like we need to go a little bit more broad, you know, broader than courtship. And so we're going to look more at God's providence today. We're going to look at how God provided for Abraham and for Isaac, and really for this servant, a woman for Isaac to marry. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at essentially four steps, four things that Abraham and the servant did that showed that they were acting in faith, trusting in God's providence. And then we're going to see how we get that wrong, how we don't do what they do, how we slip up and don't trust in God's providence in our lives. We're going to look at five ways we do that. And so if you may be sitting there this morning thinking, man, he just read 67 verses and now he's got a nine point sermon. And I'm like, you know what? God bless you today. May the Lord bless you. We'll keep it as short as we can. So in this chapter, Genesis 24, one of the coolest things is everyone does the right thing. You don't get a lot of chapters in the Bible where everyone does what they should do. There's not a lot of sin in this story, if really any sin at all. And so it's, it's an excellent example for us of trusting God's providence. And so we're going to go through in that sermon outline these four steps that Abraham and his servant take that show their faith. First, we see that Abraham proceeds with certainty about God's promises. The very first verse tells us the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham's really old, even older than he was before at this point, and he looks back on his life, and he's like, man, God has kept all of his promises to me. He has blessed me big time. I have a God who has blessed me and kept promises to me. And now, as Abraham neared death, he needed to trust that this same God would keep those same promises to his son Isaac. Well, one of those promises involved having many descendants. Isaac was unmarried, didn't have any descendants at this point. And so Abraham proceeded in this chapter with certainty that God would provide a wife for Isaac in fulfillment of his promise. Abraham sent this servant with such great confidence. He's like, don't worry, like an angel's going to go with you. It's going to work out. It's fine. And he had that confidence because he knew, well, God's got to keep this promise. God said he was going to give us offspring through Isaac. He's going to need a wife to do that. So we're getting a wife. It's going to happen. He trusts with absolute certainty what God has clearly promised 
to him. That's the first thing we see. Second, notice how he proceeds in obedience. He's also obeying the clear commands of God. He wants to make sure that Isaac finds the right kind of wife. And so he strictly commands his servant to take a wife from his own kindred in Nahor. God had previously told Abraham that the Canaanite people were going to be dispossessed, evicted from the land. So Isaac couldn't marry people that were destined to be sent out. He needed to marry someone else. And so as weird as it sounds to us, he needed to go find a family member to marry. That does seem very strange. But the servant is not bothered by that strangeness. He asks, well, what if this woman doesn't want to come back with me? Should I take Isaac there to live with her? No. Isaac must remain here in obedience to the Lord's commands and promises that this is the land He is giving to us. If this is not the way that God provides a wife, God will provide a wife another way. And so you see Abraham's great confidence when he speaks to his servant. And yet he is willing to acknowledge we got to do it the right way. I trust that God will keep His word by fulfilling His promises And so, therefore, I need to keep God's word by obeying his commands. So he trusts the promises and obeys the clear commands. That's the first two things. The third thing is we see how Abraham's servant prayerfully discerns God's providence. The servant is sent on his way with ten camels and a bunch of stuff. He's got clear instructions, great riches, but the very first thing we read the servant do is pray. We see it in verse 12. He prays for the Lord to grant him success. And I love that this servant is so bold that he's like, God, today. Like, we aren't, we aren't wasting time here. Today. Provide today for my master. But even though he had that boldness, that confidence, this is the same servant that asked, well, what happens if she doesn't want to come? He has hope and boldness But it's not foolish and presumptuous. The servant understands his mission may or may not be a success. He doesn't know exactly how God will provide, but he trusts God might provide. And so he lays out this twofold sign for this woman and to determine her character. It's a twofold test. First part of the test Can I please have a drink of water? And that's like the bare minimum. Are you going to let this guy, who's clearly traveled a long way, are you going to at least let him have a drink of water? Okay, check. She passed that test. Second test is, are you going to get water for his ten camels? I don't know how many jars that is, but I'm betting it's at least ten jars, ten trips to the watering trough, until they've all drank and had their fill. Like, she's, she's doing a lot of work there. And she initiates it. He doesn't say, hey, would you also get water for my camels? No, she says, I will do that. Showing that her character is similar to that woman we saw in Proverbs 31. A diligent, industrious, kind, selfless woman. But notice that even when she passes that character test, even when she's part of the correct family, even after his super long speech saying essentially everything we just read again, he ends that speech Asking, do you see it the same way? 
Do you see God's providence the same way? He doesn't force her to come. He lays out the case and how he sees God's providence, leaving it up to them. Do you see what I see? Do you see that God is bringing these people together? And so he's prayerfully discerning God's providence with bold hope, but not presumption. That's the third thing we see. And then fourth, we see how the servant praises God when he does provide. The servant did not take credit for his efforts. He did not chalk it up to chance or coincidence. He prayed for God to guide his journey, and God did, clearly and quickly. If you notice, throughout the telling of the story, the word quickly is used a lot, or immediately, or at just that time, before he had finished speaking. God is like, I'll do you one up. Not today. I mean right now. Like, it's happening now. There she is. Right now, God is working on a timetable faster than you could ever imagine. And therefore, the servant praises God. He praises him in his prayers, and he praises him in his retelling of the story to Rebecca's family. He wants them to know that he thinks it is God who is behind his journey, behind Rebecca's kindness, behind Laban's hospitality. He gives all glory to God for keeping his promise. And so that's what we see in this positive example from chapter 24. Having looked at this positive example of how to trust God's providence, we should probably now consider how our stories do not always go the same way. Sin was not part of this chapter, but it's often part of our stories. And so I want to briefly consider five frequent failures that we have that lead us to not trust in God and his providence. First, we can act with a kind of foolish certainty because we misunderstand what God has promised us. Abraham had certainty that God would provide a wife for Isaac. That certainty came from the Word, which clearly said Isaac will have many offspring. How do you get offspring? Well, man and woman, husband and wife, children. But we can wrongly think that God has promised us some things. God has not promised us a spouse. Some people, like the Apostle Paul, may remain single. God has not promised us healing from a disease in this life. It may be that the Lord will heal us. It may not. God has not promised any of us children. God has not promised any of us a good job, a successful life, a prosperous athletic career. But God has promised to be with us always, to forgive us our sins when we confess, to provide for our basic needs. And so we need to make sure that our certainty is grounded in the Word of God and not just in what we want God to do for us the first way we can fail. A second example of failure is that we can disobey God's commands because we feel we must get God's promise through this other way. We can call this the Hagar problem. When Abraham tried to get what was promised to him through an immoral second marriage. Essentially, obedience was not working, so let's try disobedience. Well, we too can be tempted to disobey God's clear commands when we feel like obedience is not getting what God has promised us. 
Perhaps we will be tempted to marry someone who is not a believer in Jesus, thinking that we won't have another option. We may be tempted to lie about our sin, fearing that honesty will lead to ruin instead of freedom. God wants us to trust in Him by obeying His commands, knowing that obedience will never be an obstacle to God's provision. So that's a second way we can fail. We veer from obedience. A third example of failure is that we can be paralyzed by inaction because we don't expect God to provide. Do you notice how Abraham does not have inaction? He's ready to get moving and do stuff. He trusts that God will provide, and so he acts. The servant does the same. He doesn't sit there and go, God, just throw a woman here. No, he comes up with a plan. He's like, God's going to provide. Let's work on that. He doesn't remain passive. For us, with this inaction, perhaps the most important example is evangelism. We believe the Bible says that God will save sinners. And we understand that God normally saves sinners by His people sharing that word. But we doubt that God will do that through us. And so we don't share the gospel. Should we not act in faith that God might use us? Should we not act with the kind of boldness we see in Abraham's servant, trusting that maybe, just maybe, God could be providing gracious salvation to someone as we share the gospel? He might not, but he also might. Let us not be paralyzed by inaction. And then the fourth example of failure is kind of the opposite of that one. That sometimes instead of inaction, we force something because we wrongly assume that God is providing something in this particular instance. This is where you notice the servant shows up at Laban's house and gives that whole spiel. And it's like, how could anyone argue with that? But then he says, what do you think? Tell me. Do you think I'm full of it? Or do you see what I see? And then later, they're like, hey, Rebecca, what do you think? He doesn't like take Rebecca by the hand at the well and say, got her, here we go. He's not forcing her into this. He is waiting for others to discern it as well. Well, sometimes we can also think that God must be working in this instance. Maybe it's a job opportunity, a potential romantic relationship, a conversation with a non-believer. It is possible for us to misread the signs of God's providence, and so we need humility and prayerful discernment to know how to proceed. And then the fifth and final example of failure is we can forget to praise God for His providence. When things go our way, we can tend to credit chance, luck. We can take some credit for our own efforts. Maybe we were just in the right place at the right time. But notice that again and again, Abraham's servant praises God for his providence. That it wasn't Rebekah's awesome camel-watering skills. It wasn't the gold that he brought. It was God. He deserves all the glory, honor, and praise when he does what he has promised he will do for his people. So what do we do with a story like this? What do we take away? Let me first suggest I would not recommend that you encourage young people to marry their cousins by giving them nose rings as engagement rings. Just that's step one. Like, don't, don't take that away if you're going to take something away. 
Let's focus on providence. I want you to, I want to encourage you to be on the lookout for God's providence. How often do you ask yourself, what is God up to in my life this week or today or in this season of my life? Maybe that's not a question you ask yourself very often. I'd like to encourage you to ask it more often. What is God up to in my life? How is He providing for me and keeping His promises to me in what I'm going through right now? Because I want to tell you that if you trust in Jesus, you can have certainty that God is keeping His promises to you. Promises that He will be with you no matter what. Promises to conform you to the image of Jesus through your sanctification. Promises to give you gifts of grace in the Holy Spirit that you can serve your church and your community. Knowing that God is keeping His Word to you, let us also keep His Word through obedience, through the power of the Spirit. That we can have the wisdom through the Spirit to know how to prayerfully proceed in faith. See, we may not know what each day holds in God's providence, but we all know where our days are headed. That we, like a bride, will be brought to our loving husband, Jesus Christ, to be together forever and ever. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you We thank you that you are a God who does provide. We thank you for instances of your providence, like how you worked to provide Rebecca for Isaac and bring them together, that you might continue your promises through them. God, you work through us in so many ways, fulfilling your promises. As we did earlier today, we give thanks for teachers that generations ago, you provided people to teach the Word to other people who eventually taught us. And so it goes back for generations and generations. And Lord, if You do not come for more generations, it will continue that the children that are being taught today will grow up to be teachers of future children and future children. Lord, we thank You for how You keep Your promises to us. And we pray that You would give us those eyes to discern and see what You are up to and how You are keeping Your wonderful promises to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.